Welcome to Cowboy Ed, where we saddle up and ride through all those educational topics, issues, conversations, all those things you want to just, you just want to talk about when it comes to education. And woo doggies, it's a, it's a hot day for a ride, but we have an amazing topic today. How you doing out there, Maya? Doing well, trying to stay cool. Yeah, well, I mean, us on Cowboy Ed Pod, we just are cool. That's, I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. We're, we're just, we're just cool. So we are super excited to talk about uh, a, a very relevant topic that's, that's in the news and in, in particular in Wyoming is very, very important to us. And that is looking at some new research that just came out. And we are so excited to have the person that created Guided is, is leading that charge. Uh, Mr. Mark Perkins with us. How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing super well. Super excited to have you. Um, as most of our listeners out there have probably seen a, a snippet, uh, heard something on either on a, maybe a news broadcast or a, in the newspaper, it's always good to get the the source of the information and, and kind of let you talk about it and get get through some of those just news bites so we can really understand the, the, the hard work that you guys have been doing. So you just... Uh, I say just recently released some information uh, on research. And what was what was the focus point of your research? I started working with some folks here at the University of Wyoming, Colby Goal, the um, teacher uh, trustees education initiative. And we were interested in general teacher retention rates. And that led to a conversation with the Wyoming Department of Education that led to some anecdotes of teachers leaving <clears throat> mid-quarter without notice. Now, I'd, I'd heard of this happening um, in various uh, school systems that uh, I guess you could say face a lot of challenges, but the way it was framed seemed like that this was an unusual circumstance um, in Wyoming and coming from some folks at WDE, that's the Wyoming Department of Education, I thought it was worth paying attention to. And so that led me down a journey in which I connected with the Wyoming Education Association and conducted, I, I'm guessing, maybe 20 hours of informal conversations with various teachers at various stages in the state of Wyoming. These conversations were not data collection, if that makes sense. I didn't record, transcribe. I just listened and took notes. Um, so I guess the notes, I guess, might be. But from that, I developed, with the help of WEA and, and some other stakeholders, a rather lengthy survey had over I think about two, 260 items and so we used Wyoming Education Association's contacts with teachers and cast the survey in Wyoming in March around March 3rd and then um, let it run for about two months and uh, as a result we collected about 708 give or take <clears throat> which question, because not everybody answers every question, uh, teachers in the state of Wyoming, which represents about 10% of the 
of the teaching population and, and run some analyses on, on that as well. Um, the development of the survey really came from the things teachers told me as well as some literature I read in uh, the scholarly uh, literature and journals and, and things like that. Well, Mark, that's, I, you know, any research that starts with not research in mind, but like what you're hearing and being driven by what's happening and, and in particular being driven by teacher's voice is, is A, super appreciated. Uh, because it's not really looking for something, it's hearing and building off that to get a better understanding. And so that I, I think all of our listeners in particular would will greatly appreciate that it, it's not an attack, it's not any of those kind of things, that it's, hey, we, we need to understand. And then from that understanding, hopefully, uh, schools, uh, organizations, professionals, all these other ways can possibly help us build solutions. So with, with that in mind, we, we had about, as you said, 10% of teachers completed a lengthy taking that time. What were some of those things that started to the cream for, you know, those of us cowpokes out there, the cream rising to the top? What were those things that started to jump out from the research? Yeah, yeah. And so um, a lot of the things folks shared with me are not surprising they're things that I think a lot of people already know and think about. Um, and I think in general, at sort of the 50,000 foot level, they really, I think, would relate to a couple of different things. The first thing is, I think that they relate to interpersonal relationships and the ways in which teachers feel they interact with others at various levels um, with each other with the community with leaders with students um, etc and so that sort of cluster of um, concepts were sort of rolled up into what we call a factor or a construct that we we decided to look at as support feelings of support. And that really split into three different areas uh, from the data. One has to do with professional support. So feelings of support from really people uh, within the sphere of the educational workplace and administrative structure. So colleagues and leaders, typically. The second really rolled up into community support. And so these items factored really even relating to students, parents, and members of the community. And then the third was things like government support. And in this particular factor, it, it had what's known as construct validity in that these items, you know, correlated or, or worked well together, but they didn't really uh, seem to matter. But these are things like uh, the governor, legislatures, and school boards. And so when you sort of correlated these items with intent to leave or wanting to leave or dissatisfaction, the closer you were to the teacher, the more likely they were to leave if they didn't feel supported or connected. 
And so professional support really emerged as a strong factor. And then other things emerged. Um, mental health. We used a couple of uh, mental health skills uh, from, from, from the literature. Quick, kind of quick screeners that have good evidence of reliability and validity on depression and anxiety. And it's really no surprise, uh, depression and anxiety, which correlate very highly anyways, they correlate, you know, at around a 0.7 in our data. But teachers who are feeling more anxious or more depressed tend to really not want to teach so much anymore. And then we had an item, you know, like my mental health makes me think about quitting teaching. And, and that, you know, teachers who score high and anxiety also state that that makes them not want to teach. And then, and then we had questions about assessment and overassessment. <clears throat> and a lot of teachers, uh, you know, were split in terms of the extent to which assessment makes them want to quit. More than 50% say that off the top of my head. But what was interesting is a lot of teachers feel that we assess too much and that not all assessment is necessarily useful. And so those, those three things kind of, kind of emerged. We also asked questions about workload. And, and there's no surprise, teachers report working more since COVID than, than before. And things such as covering for, for, for teachers who are absent or who quit losing planning period time, responding to more emails, things like that also seem to relate. The general feeling I have is from the data at this point, and this project is ongoing, is that the more teachers feel supported, you know, within their immediate context, say by their colleagues and leaders and uh, students and parents, folks like that, and the more support they they may be able to get to alleviate you know mental health struggles and challenges, the better they will feel about teaching children. And I also am curious about the extent to which we can make uh, assessment within schools more parsimonious. In other words, simpler. Uh, sort of like an Oxum's razor. What is the minimum necessary amount of assessment that we need to do in a school to get the data we need to help kids without, so that we're not overwhelming with logistical issues and other things, uh, teachers within their classrooms. And so that, I think that would summarize kind of my own impressions thus far. So I know the headline that came, you know, in the paper and and in several blogs and whatnot was that there was a significant amount of teachers who were planning to quit this Mm -hmm. year, right? They were done. And, you know, it could have been, that could have fed into the numbers of the ones that you were talking about who, you know, got up in the middle of the year and said, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. And they, they, you know, got out. Um, But I think even more significant was that if they could, 65% 65% of them said they would leave. What do we do about that from this data? You're talking about a need for support at these three levels and that that you know more localized support matters the most. 
so how do we use this information that you've collected to try to help teachers so that 65% of them, you know, aren't dreading going to work every day? Yeah. So there's a couple of thoughts I have. So the first thing is, is, you know, in terms of sampling, we did a pretty good job for a, you know, let's, let's compare it to like a poll, like a Gallup poll, you know, we did a pretty good job. Um, but you know, there is still a large proportion of teachers who did not take the survey. And so the question is, what is the real percentage of teachers who would respond to an agree or disagree to, if I could, I would quit, but I choose to stay, you know, for financial or other reasons, which is pretty much verbatim what that item asked. And 65% agreed or strongly agreed with that. And, you know, the answer to that is we don't know. Okay, there's some tricks you can do statistically to try to tease that out, but they have a lot of different assumptions. So keeping that in mind, a survey like this may attract people who are more dissatisfied. And so we have to be careful making, you know, generalized inferences um, uh, from those kinds of results. But what the data do tell us is what those teachers think. And... You know, they just came out, the American Federation of Teachers just released their survey. It's supposed to be a national survey. They have about 1,300 teachers. One of the questions they asked was, would you recommend this profession to somebody else? Uh, About, you know, depending on where they are in their career, about 70, 75% said they would not recommend teaching. Again, this is a national survey. Millions of teachers, they have 1,100. So I'm a little, I'm more skeptical of that than than the 65% we have in Wyoming. But we're seeing a pattern. The National Education Association put out a survey. Similar findings. 55% report that they are going to leave the profession before they originally intended to, maybe within the next two years, I think. You can look it up. And so the question is, what should we do about this? Well, currently we have a team, Maya's on it, and one of the things we're doing is we're looking at what are the exact things that we can look at right now. And the big item that emerged for us is the mental health issue. This is not a new issue, okay, in in Wyoming. Um, Wyoming has one of, if not the highest suicide rates of any state. Um, it's very rural, right? So there's limited resources for people there, you know, and so we have Dr. De Diego and, and others actually doing an inventory of all the mental health centers, resources, etc. She could tell you more about it than I am, than I can in proximity to every single school district. And we're going to be releasing a report hopefully by September to at least say, here are the resources related to teachers and really everybody. Because the second you do a mental health inventory of schools, you're essentially doing it of the entire state because schools are, I guess you could say, a central fixture of communities. And 
then we're going to start thinking about what are some ways that we can expand mental health resources for educators and other people within the state, which is a problem other people are thinking about. But we're, we're going to do our best to contribute to that um, conversation. In, t in terms of the other issues, issues like feeling supported or feeling connected professionally, you know, these are really difficult questions to answer with a survey. Survey is sort of a diagnostic tool, I guess you could say. And, and it's sort of like, a, I mean, this is sort of might be a crude analogy, but sort of like a blood test. You know, you, you know your platelet count might be low or you might know you have high bilirubin, but you don't really know the cause. You don't really know what to do about it. And so what, what you have to do is you have to do further research or go to more doctors, unfortunately, if that's the case. And so that is really where we are as a nation. What do we do about these things that might be driving people away from the profession. We know that they're related to, for example, feeling supported. That comes out, not just in our survey, that comes out of NEA, or just reading that literature uh, this morning, AFT, American Federation of Teachers. Okay, but then it comes down to what is going on within an individual school with individual teachers that may be contributing and what is a reasonable level of support and or not feeling supported versus say a toxic level of not feeling supported you know what is a reasonable teacher attrition rate should we have 100% retention well, that doesn't really seem like we should because not everybody who gets into teaching may be meant for it might not be right for them so basically this just leads to more questions and, and more work to be done but we do know some of the things to think about and focus on um, and we have about 15 uh, faculty and graduate students at the University of Wyoming as well as uh, Dr. Uh, Scott Thomas, our dean, who's very interested in this work. And uh, basically, we're just going to continue to research it, talk to teachers, look into things even deeper, and come up with more answers. But at this point, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> Well, let's just say that's all I got. That, let's not minimize that. There's a lot there, and that's what a great starting point. And we're excited to have, you know, the, the intent was, as we started with, that it wasn't just to get this information. It's where do we go and how do we get more, get more information to help build solutions. So I'll throw the one question out there that I, that I know um, the people outside of education Sometimes maybe that lack of community support might come back at this and say, so in general, what is that other profession percentage of, I don't even know, well, maybe doctors or lawyers or, or whoever that are also in that, if, if we surveyed them, what would be their percentage or general? Do we have an idea of what that are that want to leave if they could? That's, I think that's an, uh, a fantastic question. And it's a very important question because in research, it's 
you don't really know how to evaluate something unless you kind of have an ideal or a comparison. And so one might, one might think, well, 65%, that's a kind of a big number. That's mostly 100, right? It's almost two thirds of 100. That seems a lot and that's bad. But then if you go and you examine, if you examine and it's like, wait a minute, 90% of people in the world hate their jobs and want to quit. Now all of a sudden teacher, teachers who say that it looks like they're happy, right? And so I think that's, that's a very intelligent question to ask. And it's one that um, only a couple of people have asked me that question. Okay. And luckily I thought about that question long before I wrote the report and I dug into some literature and turns out that there's no like universal job satisfaction average that I was able to find. Okay. But what I did find were numbers ranging from the mid forties to the mid fifties uh, in terms of various ways people ask about how satisfied you are with your job. Keeping in mind that most people, most people uh, don't ask the same question. In fact, nobody's ever asked that question that we came up with. I didn't come up with, if I could, I would quit, but I don't because of financial reasons. That item was developed by a teacher. And I said, that's a brilliant thing to ask. I'm going to put that in there. It would be really interesting to ask that question, especially among lawyers, because I'm betting from what I've read in the literature, this is not a joke. A lot of people in high professional positions under a high amount of stress don't actually like their jobs that much. And so the question might be, how can we retain teachers so that they are a level, at a level of satisfaction and contentment that is acceptable? Now, that's a really, really ridiculous statement because who the heck knows what acceptable is? But honestly, if we lived in sort of a, an ideological world, that's what we would strive for, right? The optimal level of acceptable satisfaction. Because if you think about it, you don't want to be too satisfied at your work. Now, that, that might sound counterintuitive, but I know this because when I was a teenager, I worked as a dishwasher. And when the boss left, I was pretty dang happy if he had to be gone for a couple of days. But turns out that the dishes wouldn't get washed and then things would get a little bit of muck in the restaurant that I worked. I needed a little bit of tension, a little bit of tiny bit of stress to encourage me to do a good job. And so you don't want it to be some sort of a 100%, you know, free kind of job. You want kids to learn. You want to strive, you know, with motivators. But if it becomes too stressful and we're to the point where we are now, where school districts haven't filled all their positions yet in Wyoming and, you know, new teacher orientation is coming too, when they're thinking about other ways to recruit teachers because not enough people are enrolling in education courses and wanting to become teachers, 
then you got to think, okay, maybe there are some things we can do to optimize the level of satisfaction so that people uh, would maybe be neutral or maybe uh, moderately agree that they want to stay instead of strongly agree that they want to leave. I thought I think that is a very, very good question. And, and I will say that somewhere, and don't quote me on this, because I can't remember exactly the source, but somewhere I read that that lawyers uh, in some study found lawyers to have very low job satisfaction. Um, and it's funny because that's a profession a lot of times we, we idealize. And so, again, you know, what can we do to make life manageable and reasonable for people who are working? That's really the question we have to ask. Well, such a fascinating answer. And to think about that space of tension and trying to find, you know, that, I don't know, that sweet spot, right? Where you like going to your job, you like engaging, but you also are always striving to you know, make it better or, you know, push your kids or whatever to keep that growth going. I I don't think I've thought about it in in that way of creating tension, right, to do that. So that's... That's really fascinating to me. Um, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about what you found right now? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I know a lot of your listeners are teachers, right? But if, you know, you're a parent or, you know, maybe you're not a parent. You live in a town. There's a teacher that is really not only educating children, but they're holding up the fiber of, of our country and of our state. If you think about it, if things continue the way that they're going within teaching and people, you know, continue to leave, where are the children while we work? I mean, I have a seven-year-old son, and he had a wonderful teacher last year, Miss Hardy at Dildine. Absolutely adore her. She, she kept him in line, and he needed it, right? And every day I would take him to school, and I would release his hand, and I had the faith that he was safe every day. We do that for thousands of children, millions of children in this country, all over the world even. We take it for granted. And so if there's something you can do to be a positive force for your school or a teacher, do it. If you can take a ha- an afternoon off and volunteer on a field trip, do it. You know, if you're a member of the community, send a note and thank teachers Right. Wait until about three weeks as the new school year comes. The third week after the first, uh, I taught 10 years, right? That third week of the first quarter, you're feeling kind of tired. Send a note home to your, your kid's teacher and tell or teachers and tell them how much you appreciate what they've done so far this year. Those little things will make a huge difference for people who might be struggling in the classroom or, you know, most teachers I've met love kids, and, it, and a lot of teachers I spoke to cried because they love the kids so much, but it hurts so much for them in their particular circumstances. And so 
my message, I know I can be verbose, but my message is be a positive force for your school, for your neighborhood, and for your teachers. Stop focusing on the things you don't like and pay attention to 5,000 good things that those people are doing for us every single day. That's really, I think if we did that as a, a state and as a nation, it would make a profound difference. Wow, what a what a great piece of advice to end on. And, and you know, Mark, that you hit on it so well. I mean, we're so quick to pick out those things that, you know, that one bad event, that one whatever negative or, or, or those things. And so actually giving that sincere, it doesn't have to be um, cards. It doesn't, just that sincere support is, is so important. And it, it kind of comes back to maybe a different topic on a different day for us, but teachers are people. We aren't teachers. We are actually people first. We're moms, we're dads, we're people just like everybody else trying to live their life. And so suddenly we're only identified as a teacher and teachers don't have emotion. We don't, we can take criticism. I, all those things. Wow. I mean that, that acknowledge the good and support that these, these are the same people that might be working next to you too. They just happen to choose a profession that is helping your kids, helping all the kids across the state and nation and, 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 and the world in a sense, changing the world one kid at a time. So, wow, Mark, what, what a great um, conversation and great information. And, and I, I look so forward to saddling up. Uh, I know Maya does to saddling up with you as the research continues and more nuggets. Uh, uh, we, we dig some more things out and get, get some other information to keep sharing and keep this conversation going because we can't let it end. So, Mark, thank you for your time. I, I know it's uh, you're almost a celebrity now with all this great research. And so we're, I'm so glad you took the time to sit down with us. Uh, and, and we look forward to the next chance we get to, to talk to you. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, get ready. My wife's working in your school. Oh. She's a school psychologist. And she's oh, been assigned Johnson. And we have a we have a we have we have a good school. That'll make for some good conversations. You you have a really good school, really good people there. I know Brian. He's a good guy. Well, it's about that time that, especially as hot as it is right now across Wyoming, the horses are tired, and we're gonna have to put them back in put them back in the old stable and let them cool down. But wow, we're glad you all enjoyed the ride, and we look forward to the next time. So let's head him up. Move him on. Move him on. Head him up. Head him up. Move him on. Cowboy Ed. On the run.